Open your Bible, please, to Judges chapter 15. A couple of comments before we begin. One is, we had a large crowd at the Deneens last night, I think well over 40 people that uh, came together and uh, thought about seeking God and prayed about it and talked about it and sang about it. And it was just really encouraging. And uh, I think everybody who came really profited by that and was glad they came. If you've not been doing that, I think you would really enjoy it. And uh, it's just encouraging that so many here are so eager to seek God. Uh, Two weeks, well, two weeks from last night, we'll do that again. I think Max is going to be leading uh, the study of the uh, Sunday night sermon, the idea that we can please God. That was really encouraging, something that sometimes we get to feeling like no matter what we do, we just could never please God. And so... uh, it's helpful for us to be together and to do those things, and uh, that would certainly be a good goal for you to seek to, to be there and to join together. We may just have to uh, knock out a few more walls in the Deneen basement, but that would be okay. So, um, Another thing that I'd like for you to be praying for, Lord willing, four weeks from this Thursday, I'll be leaving for Brazil. It's October the 16th, and I plan to come back on November the 17th. Uh, So I'd appreciate your prayers for that trip and uh, that your prayers and God's response to those prayers has, I believe, been the reason that the trips have consistently been so positive and productive. Um, And I would appreciate your remembering that this time as well. At the end of Judges 14, the marriage didn't really happen between Samson and that woman he saw because he had that riddle that the 30 attendants of Samson managed to weasel out of his wife because she weaseled it out of Samson, and they told him the answer to the riddle, and he was really angry. And he went and killed 30 Philistines to get their clothes off their back to give to those 30 men and went home in a huff. And so her father assumed that he didn't want her anymore and he married her off to one of uh, these 30 men. And that's where the story picks up in chapter 15. But after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, It came about that Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go into my wife in her room, but her father did not let him enter. Her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. Samson then said to them, This time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Samson evidently had not really intended to not marry this woman, but his father-in-law didn't understand that. He assumed this was the last they'd see of Samson, and so he's already given her to another man. And he offers his younger daughter to Samson as a consolation prize. After all, he says, she's prettier than the older one. (laughs) That ought to be something that appeals to Samson, but it wasn't. Nobody tells Samson who he ought to marry. And so he says, this time I'm justified when I take revenge on them. Isn't that a common story? Everybody thinks their revenge 
is righteous. So verse 4, Samson went and caught 300 foxes, or possibly jackals, and took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put one torch in the middle between two tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the shocks and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and groves. Then the Philistines said, Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, Since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you. But after that, I will quit. And he struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Samson spends pretty much his whole life doing his own thing. Samson's a very unusual judge or deliverer. He doesn't ever really try to just get rid of the foreign oppressors. He just gets mad and uh, takes revenge. He never calls out Israelite troops to help him. He just goes on his own personal vendettas when he wants to. What happens is he was mad because he lost his wife, and so he ties these burning torches to the tails of these jackals or foxes. I guess somehow he ties their tails together with the burning torch in the middle. And so here you've got two of these animals, tail to tail, tied together with their tails on fire. And then he sets them loose, 300 of these, uh, among the grain and the, the crops and the, the harvested crops of the Philistines. And of course, they just go wild and go around and set fire all over the place and destroy all the harvest of the Philistines. The Philistines, of course, were not very happy about that. And when they found out who did it, they didn't punish Samson. They went to the sort of wife and father-in-law and burned them, which, of course, was the punishment they had uh, threatened if she didn't find out the secret to the riddle. Didn't help her much, did it? She ended up with the same punishment. It's kind of curious that they do that to her and her father, you'd think it would be more reasonable to do it to Samson. My guess is that it was a little easier to deal with them than it was with Samson with his superhuman strength. So Samson says, well, I'm going to take revenge and then I'll quit. So one more time and that'll be it. Isn't that the way revenge always is? Think about how this has happened. The Philistines now are going to uh, seek Samson for slaughtering their people. But he did that because they killed his wife and her father. But they did that because he burned their fields. But he did that because his father-in-law gave away his wife. But he did that because Samson got angry and left. But he did that because his wife had given the riddle's answer away. But she did that to avoid being burned up by them and so forth. You see how it just kind of cycles. It's kind of like a domino. You get this revenge business going. Flick one domino and boy, the whole road, road just starts falling. And one leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. And that's certainly the way it happens here. So Samson kills this, uh, so many of these uh, Philistines uh, in, in verse 8. So in verse 9, then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. 
Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Atom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you've done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We've come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands, yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. This personal feud has escalated into an international crisis. The Philistines are capped, camped out against the men of Judah because Samson's among them. I think this was exactly what God had in mind. God wanted the Philistines to be defeated. And uh, so you can see his will being fulfilled in spite of Samson's bad temper. It's kind of interesting here, though, the people of Judah. Do you remember back in chapter 1, the very first thing we read in Judges, that, that the people asked who should be the first tribe to go up and conquer their territory. And it was the tribe of Judah, and they did. Things sure have changed. Now, they complain to Samson because after all, doesn't Samson know the Philistines are the masters around here? We just serve them. Samson, what are you doing disturbing everything? What are you doing upsetting our masters? They've gone downhill. Instead of crying out for a deliverer, they want to get rid of one. That, that's, it's just amazing. At least in the other oppressions, the Israelites want their freedom from the oppressor. Now the Israelites don't want Samson to do anything against their oppressors. They've sort of grown complacent. They resent the confusion Samson has caused. Samson says, okay, you can bind me and give me to them, just don't kill me. Now, you wonder why he said that, don't you? Would Samson have been afraid of the Israelites? It doesn't seem to me like he ought to be. He pretty well seems to be able to handle any number of people with about any instrument that happens to come along. Bare hands if it's a lion. So why would he want to make them promise not to kill him? Well, I think it's because he doesn't want to have to kill them. They're his own people. He doesn't want to take revenge on them. So as long as they won't kill him, he'll just go ahead and let them bind him and, and deliver him over to the Philistines. It's interesting here that you see the Israelites and the Philistines allied together against the leader God chose to deliver them. It's just an amazing event. In verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. And it came about, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named that place Ramoth Lehi. Then he became very thirsty. And he called to the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance by the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? But God split the hollow place that is in Lehi so that water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned, and he revived. Therefore he named it En-Hakor. 
which is in Lehi to this day. Samson takes a jawbone of a donkey, kills a thousand Philistines with it. Um, it kind of reminds you of Shamgar, who killed 600 uh, with an ox goad, except Shamgar freed the Israelites from the Philistines in that case. Samson doesn't. And Shamgar was trying to help Israel. Samson just wanted to get revenge. And in fact, it's interesting, when Samson does it, he has this little poem-like thing. It is more poetic maybe in Hebrew than it would be in English. But in it, he basically claims credit for himself. He composes this little poem to commemorate what he's done. And he nicknames the place Jawbone Hill, is really what that means, uh, to, to remind everybody of what he did with that jawbone. But then he got extremely thirsty. I suppose we'd say he was dehydrated. And for the first time, as far as I can see, he encountered a situation that he thought he needed the Lord's help in, one that he couldn't solve on his own. So he asked God to help him, and God did, and God provided water out of this hollow place, and he was able to revive his strength. And so in verse 20, so he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, that really ought to be the end of the story. That's how the stories of the other judges usually end. We'll find out because of the events of chapter 16, it's not the end of the story. But there's something interesting about this 20-year judging of Samson. There's no peace. They're still dominated by the Philistines. Things keep getting worse and worse. The periods of peace have grown shorter, generally speaking, and now the judging of Samson, he really hadn't thrown off the Philistines. They're still dominated by the Philistines during this 20 years that he judges. So it really shows you how far down the Israelites have gone. There are a couple of good things you can say in this chapter about Samson. You know, when you read Samson, you're almost always making the points about why you shouldn't be like Samson. And you sort of wonder, is there anything good about him? Well, there's at least two good things I found in this chapter. One is he didn't want to hurt his own people. He could have, as far as I can see, but he didn't choose to. And he turned to the Lord finally when he was so thirsty. Took a lot for him to turn to the Lord, but at least it is positive that he did do that. What I want to do in just the next few minutes is talk about three lessons that we can learn out of this chapter. And one is a lesson about God. I think what you see in this whole section about Samson is how God can use very crude tools to accomplish his purpose. He can take sinful actions and through his wisdom and power, actually do what he wants done. In this case, deliver the Philistines. Or deliver the Israelites from the Philistines to some extent. Punish the Philistines. The fact that, that God used Samson, though, does not mean that God was happy with him. I think that's an important lesson. Because sometimes we feel like if God is using us, well, look, I helped so-and-so, and I did this, and I did that. God's using me. Sometimes it makes us think that God must approve of us, and that's not necessarily so. God can use people he does not approve of. I mean, he used Judas. He sure didn't approve of what Judas did, but he used him for his purpose. He used Balaam's donkey. There's no moral approval of Balaam's donkey, but God used him, and he used Balaam also. 
was a scoundrel if there ever was one. So we shouldn't feel like if we're doing some good, that that automatically means that we have God's approval. God will use us, and he'll do some good out of us, even if we're a reprobate. It shows God's wisdom and capability, not necessarily our faithfulness to him. Another area in which we can learn a lesson, I think, is about the nature of revenge. You know, what Samson said in verse 3, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm, is what everybody says. Everybody thinks their revenge is right, don't they? Everybody feels like, well, I have the right to do this after the way they've done me. But that's not the case. In fact, vengeance is not our business. Never is. And everybody thinks what he said in verse 7. Since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you, but after that I will quit. Everybody thinks this will even the score. You know, this is what I've got to do to call it a draw now. But what happens? You do that, the other side thinks it's not even. So they got to do something. And then you think it's not even, you got to do something, and it just keeps escalating. That's the nature of revenge. That's what happens. You know, isn't that the way arguments go? You ever notice that? You know, it starts out with kind of a little thing. And then one side feels like, well, you know, they're sort of the loser. And so they say something a little stronger. Then the other side says something a little stronger. Because they thought they were kind of behind now. And then the other side, well, they're a little behind. So they have to say something stronger. And pretty soon, people are saying things that are ridiculous. Because it's the way revenge, anger, arguments go. You never really even it up. Or at least there's never a time that both sides see it's even. <laughs> you know, and it just tends to grow and grow. And then finally, it seems to me that we could make some lessons about sin itself out of this. Because isn't what Samson did with revenge what we tend to do with all sins? We think, well, just one more. Then I'll quit. How many times do you play that game with yourself? Just one more. That's all. That'll be the last. I'll, I'll not do it again. Just one more time. Of course, that's all Satan's looking for. All he wants is just the one more. That is a lie that Satan feeds us. He convinces us that one more will satisfy us. One more just makes it easier to commit the next one. If, I, if I'm not going to resist this one, after I've committed one more, it's just going to be that much easier to commit the next one. The sin to resist is the one I'm being tempted to commit right now. I always need to draw the line right where I'm at. Samson, well, just one more, <laughs> then I'll quit. And I think there's a lesson about sin in terms of how Judah looked at the Philistines. They had been comfortable, become comfortable, with the fact that the Philistines were their masters. And they didn't want Samson delivering them. We sometimes become comfortable with sin. We think there's nothing you can do to counter Satan's program and we just need to adjust to it. And anybody who comes along and tries to shake things up 
and tries to tell us that this isn't right and we need to put a stop to Satan's dominion, he, he becomes the bad guy. Because after all, we're pretty content. We kind of like it that way. You think about it. The next time you resent some uh, admonition that a Christian gives you, is it because you've kind of grown to like Satan's program and you don't want anybody disturbing the peace? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Sometimes disturbing the peace, if the peace is in sin, is the right thing to do. And when God sends a deliverer, when he sends somebody to admonish us and to rebuke us and to tell us we need to straighten up, instead of feeling like, it's not their business, I'll do what I want to. Maybe we ought to say, do you suppose I ought to listen to that? Could it be God's trying to tell me something there? Sometimes we can grow just really comfortable the way things are. But if they're not the way God wants them to be, change is needed. Have you let sin dominate you? Be your master? And you just sort of given in? You've decided, well, that's just the way it's going to be. I'm just not going to do any better than that. God wants to deliver you. He wants to work in your life and change you. Will you let him? If you need to come to him, won't you do that while we stand and sing?